Welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers. I'm your host, Paul Beckerman. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What? What is in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit? Check it out. The topic of today's episode is copyright. I find that people often fall into two distinct camps when it comes to copyright. In one camp are people who worry about everything and always wonder if they have the rights to use content. In the other camp are people who don't worry about anything at all and often don't even consider copyright when they're using content they've found. The sweet spot, like with many things, is probably somewhere in between the two groups. The trouble is, copyright can be confusing, and that confusion can lead people to joining one of these extreme camps, either ignoring the issue or maybe even obsessing about it. Before we dive into the topic, I need to read you a little something. As a disclaimer, the information provided during this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be, construed as legal advice. You should consult with a licensed attorney in your state if you have specific questions or for advice regarding your individual situation. That all said, we're going to try to provide you a little bit of a framework so you can better understand the conversation around copyright. Let's count it. Let's count it. Let's count it down. So here we go. Number one, you own any content you create. In fact, once you've made something and it is put on some sort of fixed medium, like a computer file, a video, a photograph, or a piece of paper, it's technically yours. It's copyrighted to you. Now, if you've created something of significant value and you want indisputable proof that it's yours, you can file for official copyright with the federal government. This can be done for a small fee through their online registration portal. Now, I need to add an exception to creating your own content here. If you are creating something as part of your teacher contract, that content is technically owned by the school district because they have essentially hired you to create it as part of your current contract of employment. In any case, the content you create can almost always be used in your classroom. You just might not be able to sell it for profit. Number two, get permission. If you find something you'd like to use, reach out to the owner and ask for permission to use it. I've done this quite a few times when creating materials for professional development, and I almost always am granted permission to use it. Usually the owners of the content don't want you to make money off their work, but they are often flattered that you think highly enough about it to use it in your work. When getting permission, it's best to get this in writing. Usually a response to an email query is all you need. Number three, find content with an appropriate Creative Commons license. The Creative Commons website contains the following statement. Creative Commons licenses give everyone from individual creators to large institutions a standardized way to grant the public permission to use their creative work under copyright law. From the reuser's perspective, the presence of a Creative Commons license on a copyrighted work answers the question, what can I do with this work? So in other words, when someone posts their work with an attached Creative Commons license, They're telling you under which conditions you can use their content. There are six different Creative Commons license types. Some of these simply require you to give credit to the creator when using their work. Others indicate if you are allowed to distribute, remix, adapt, or build upon the original material. Some restrict you to non-commercial use. In other words, they don't want you to make money off their content. When using something with a Creative Commons license, it's important to review and comply with the specified terms. 
Number four, find content that's in the public domain. The United States Copyright Office defines content as being in the public domain if that work is no longer under copyright protection or if it failed to meet the requirements for copyright protection. Works in the public domain may be used freely without the permission of the former copyright owner. In other words, public domain means there's no copyright applied to that work and the general public can use it. In general, any work published before 1923 is in the public domain. Content published since then expires after a specified term, usually 70 years after the creator has passed away. But this can vary depending on the specific situation or if the terms have been renewed. As with anything copyright related, it's good to double check before using something. Number five, find sources that offer royalty-free content. These sources often rely on Creative Commons licensing models, but they may have rules of their own as well. Pixabay and Unsplash are examples of two websites where users can access and create images royalty-free or without payment. These sites often state that you're not allowed to sell or distribute the content in that original format, but you can integrate the content into other work. Again, you want to double check on the terms posted on the site. And number six, follow fair use guidelines. This set of guidelines has been established to help people determine what is fair to use and what is unfair. That's why it's called fair use. According to the U.S. Copyright Office, fair use is an ever-evolving, judge-created doctrine dating back to the 19th century and codified in the 1976 Copyright Act. It also states that since this evolves over time, you should seek legal assistance as necessary and appropriate. With all that in mind, teachers often rely on the terms of fair use to guide them about what they can and can't use in their classrooms. In fact, the Copyright Office calls out teaching as one area that may qualify as fair use. There are four factors that are relevant when evaluating the question of fair use. The first one is purpose and character of the use, including whether the use is of any commercial nature or if it's nonprofit educational purpose instead. Basically, if you're making money off something, it's less likely to be eligible for fair use. Uses that are considered transformative are also more often ruled as fair to use. If something is transformative, it means that the original is being used for a new purpose or something that's different than the original work was intended for. You're transforming its purpose. The second aspect is the nature of the copyrighted work. For this one, uses that are for creative expression, like maybe writing a story or making a movie, are more likely to qualify for fair use than something that is purely factual in use. Also, unpublished works are less likely to be considered fair to use as well, because that author has not yet had a chance to make any money off that creation. The third part of fair use is amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. Basically, this aspect looks at both quality and quantity of what's being used. Generally speaking, the shorter the excerpt, the more likely it's okay to use. This is why you can preview a short clip of a song on iTunes before buying it. It's also why some musicians have gotten into trouble for sampling the work of others. Even if it's short, it might be copyright infringement if that part represents the heart of the work. And the fourth element is effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. Basically, this one's about money. Does it reduce the earning potential of the original creator? 
If your use of content is likely to cost them money or reduce their profits, you probably can't use it. If it does not impact their bottom line, you're more likely to be okay. As you've probably noticed through these descriptions and considerations, copyright's not always clear-cut. The intent of this episode is not to give you definitive answers, but rather to help you better understand the issue of copyright and to help give you some guidelines and considerations for reference when making your own decisions about your classroom and what you're going to use. I also encourage you to talk about copyright with your students. It's a great way to help them become better digital citizens. And keep your ears and eyes open to changes. The issue of copyright is constantly evolving as new forms of media emerge. In this exploding age of artificial intelligence, copyright is sure to remain a hot topic moving forward. To learn more about today's topic and explore other free resources, visit avidopenaccess.org. And of course, be sure to join Rena, Winston, and me every Wednesday for our full-length podcast, Unpacking Education, where we are joined by exceptional guests and explore education topics that are important to you. Thanks for listening. Take care, and thanks for all you do. You make a difference.